Hey, what's good? This is Rich, and you're listening to Paychecks and Balances, where it's all about showing you what's possible personally, professionally, and financially. And on today's show, I'm talking to one of my favorite duos, couples, pairs, whatever you want to call them, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I'm also feeling great today because I'm fresh off a trip to Hawaii. So shout out to the island of Kauai, third time going, first time going with Bay, food, ocean, surfing. Never thought I'd be surfing. I do have something about that up at I am Rich Jones on the gram. Also kayaking in the rain, in rainforesty conditions. Whole lot of new experiences, giving me a whole new perspective and a lot of ideas and uh, just just positivity about uh, where things are right now, especially after that much needed break. And, you know, mental health and mental wealth, as I like to talk about here on the podcast, is really important. And I'm glad I was able to step away, practice what I preach, come back and now have the chance to break bread with Julian and Kirsten Saunders of Rich and Regular, uh, who started as a blog, and they have since expanded into video and really a multimedia platform, uh, multi-award winning from the Plutus Foundation. I'm sure there's other awards. They've got uh, a podcast that's happening now and opportunities that are coming at them left and right. And it was really inspirational to get their take on all things personal finance, crypto, and uh, even some of the some of just the motivation behind why they do what they do. And I think that there's something that we can all take away from that. So here's my conversation with Julian and Kirsten, and I hope you enjoy. Julian, Kirsten, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. What's it's that? good to be here. It's a reunion. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's been a couple of years with the whole pandemic and everything. I can't tell how much time has really went by anymore, but I want to say it was 2019. It feels like it was three years ago that we first got together for a really brief but fun conversation at FinCon. And I know a lot has gone on since then. And and, and I gave people the rundown about who y'all are a little bit in the intro. But uh, I love to just like hear about like what's what's been going on. It's, and it's like one of those things where I know because I'm in the community and I, and I see on social media and I see all of these happenings. But what's been the uh, quick scoop that you give people when they when you haven't seen them in a while? And it's like, yo, what's been happening for the past couple of years? Yeah, man. So the last couple of years have been phenomenal. <clears throat> and the timing couldn't be more perfect for you to ask that question because I'm in the process of kind of drafting a blog post that kind of explains the entire journey a little bit. In short, you know, we started out as a blog where, like a lot of other people, just kind of documenting our journey to financial independence and offering our perspective on that journey um, through a Black lens. Um, because we are Black, <laughs> we live in Atlanta, which is a really Black city, um, and we just kind of know, you know, we're, we're experts on all things Black. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, Be yeah, it started that. as that. Right. Yeah, right. We are not a monolith. <laughs> I can hear the comments right now. <laughs> I, can hear the, I can hear the dumb questions you would get. But anyway. <laughs> Keyboard clickety-clack. But it started as that. And as we started to really convert um, it from, let's say, just a blog to start thinking about a brand and, and really fulfilling the original um, business plan ambition to creating a multimedia platform. I think that's that's kind of where we actually are at this point. And so we produce a podcast. We have our blog. We do original, you know, high production video um, series called Money on the Table. We're in the process of publishing our first book, 
with Penguin Random House, uh, and I still feel like I'm forgetting something. We you do are. a host of <laughs> brand partnerships, speaking, uh, speaking. We do we do a little bit of everything, but the point is the message is pretty much the same. We just find um, several creative ways and different mediums to get that message out to people, so that we can meet them where they are and reach them in the way that they prefer to be reached. And uh, it's been fun. We are creative entrepreneurs. We're in the process of launching an entirely new business in the fintech and education space. Oh, y'all are um, killing me, so, but in a good way. Yeah, it's like, yeah it's we like got a I'm lot inspired. going on right now. <laughs> it's like I'm inspired, but then at the same time, I'm like, I was already feeling like I wasn't making the best use of time, even though I probably am. And I hear that y'all are oh, doing yeah. all of this and I'm fighting some of the same stuff I tell people not to do. I'm like, yo, they're getting all this done. Like, what am I doing wrong? How am I not getting all of this stuff done? It's a lot, man. But, it's a lot. but I will say, you know, you'll be surprised what you can get done when you're all in. Right. You know, if you're doing whatever you're doing on the side, there's only so much that you can realistically expect that you can get from that. But you're talking about two seasoned professionals, 20 years of professional experience in branding, um, business development, partner marketing, you know, combined with a deep passion for personal finance and black culture. And so we've poured a lot into this and capital, you know what I mean, to get here. So, uh, you know, to your point, I, I know you're feeling, because we feel that way sometimes when we see other people out there. It's like, man. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's what led me to quit my job. Exactly. Like, I felt that way. And I felt like, you know, when I compared the two, the output on one had a much greater return. And that's that's one of the reasons why I decided to leave when I did. Interesting, because I'm sure there, there's more to it than that, because sometimes we talk about like the, the comparison trap and how it leads us to make rash decisions. And we've even, we've even heard about people who take that advice uh pursue your passion they just go quit their job and it's like wait 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 wait. that is yeah, not the that. way you're supposed to do it <laughs> even if you don't like it you create a plan and you exit gracefully whatever that means to you i'm assuming you didn't just go you know what i see other people doing this julian let's talk about it you know what i'm quitting my job i'm sure there's probably more to it than that for sure there was many, many months of going back and forth and trying to make sure that I had my own back in this decision and that I wasn't looking for validation from anybody or anything. You know, it wasn't what the business was going to give me when I quit. It was what I was going to be able to give the business when I quit. And so that was a huge shift in mindset for me because I needed to start thinking that way. And in thinking that way, it made the process to quitting much longer because I had to figure out how I was going to hold myself accountable. And so I started thinking about it six months before I actually turned in my notice. And then I turned in my notice and gave a month. <laughs> they asked for, you know, six more weeks. And so really? it was a gradual process. It was not like Julian's experience where, you know, within 24 hours, he knew he was going to quit and he was out that door two weeks later. Like mine was far more like a, you know, like. But even still, when I quit, you're talking about I quit my job after things got really, really bad at work. And at that point, our mortgage was paid off. Yeah. We still had a full time salary. Our business had tons of momentum. You know what I mean? So it's not like I just decided that I was oh, upset yeah. at my boss <laughs> and I didn't care about it. It wasn't I, a rage quit. Yeah. I mean, it kind of was. It kind of was. <laughs> but was prepared. Yeah. And I wrote about it. It was like, I may not have FU money yet, but I have, I don't got to deal with this bleak money. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I didn't. And till this day, we wouldn't be here today if we hadn't sort of lit that thing and said, you know what? We're over it. It's time to stop, you know, beating our heads against that wall. Let's. Be, I've been saying this, be the person you describe in your LinkedIn page. 
You know, yeah. what I mean? if you believe that you are that creative visionary <laughs> problem solver, then be that person. And this is your problem to solve. And if you believe in yourself and you're underpaid, well, then prove it. And I think that's that's what we've been doing. Special tip for anyone. Don't call yourself a visionary on LinkedIn. Like just <laughs> that whole I'm an agitator. That thought leader. Thought, that just means visionary. you're gonna come in and cause problems. At least that's how it's gonna be interpreted. <laughs> because companies say that they want change, but ultimately I don't think they really do. So No. You know, not fast change at least. Not fast like they change. They want slow, gradual. Yeah you know, incremental change. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They won't change on their exactly. terms. But you can't put that in your LinkedIn profile. I believe in slow, incremental change <laughs> doesn't get you high. Yeah, either. pretty much. It's like, I, basically, I just know how to play the game. That is that is what it comes Period. down to. That's what they're now, looking for. Kirsten, you mentioned at leading up to the point of leaving your job, you had to figure out how to keep yourself accountable and I'm wondering how you did that. And so I, I know part of it is, you know, Julian, you're your partners in life, you keep each other accountable, but there's also a individual and personal element of it. You know, like, for example, for me, uh, I'm all into this career stuff, podcast and stuff, personal finance. Ba- Bay's a green thumb, has her own separate interest, but there are things that we still like support each other on. And like, you know, if I go out and look at the plants and notice something, I, I share that. <laughs> And it's like, hey, have you, have you done your watering and stuff today? That's much different than like the accountability of, yo, have you reached out to these, or babe, have you reached out to these brands? Or babe, um, you really said you're going to have that blog post done. Or or babe, like you said, you, we were going to, you know, try to save X more dollars. So how, like, how do you keep your, your, yourself accountable? Yeah, I went through a number of routines and rituals to figure out which ones work the best for me. But the ones that I found work really well is I started journaling again and I do a practice called Morning Pages, which is um, based on a book by Julia Cameron where you spend, you know, time in the morning writing. It's kind of like meditation, but you're writing. It's literally coming out of your hand instead of just watching the thoughts go by like in meditation. Yes! Rich is showing his his journal. (laughs) (laughs) I started journaling. Um, I did pick up meditation and visualization. So there was a couple of apps that I uh, paid for. I certainly reduced my content. So that was another big part of it was I was way more conscious of what I was consuming because that allowed me to hold myself accountable by comparing myself, not necessarily comparing myself, but looking at the right types of media to figure out what's possible and who's doing what. And so I filtered out a lot of the crap I was consuming before and just got really targeted, even paid for some types of content to to stay focused. And I started working out. I started getting back in tune with my body and making sure that I understood what I was feeling, not trying to numb things out, like... It's it's been a very long process, but I am now that I've been gone 18 months or so, something like that, a little over a year, um, I'm now starting to see, see the returns. Like I can look at the results that I wanted in my, the, the results that I said I wanted and what I actually created and, and compare the two. And I'm building more integrity and accountability with myself every day. You're saying so many things in general, from the morning pages to the health to pretty much everything. Even, uh, Julian, when you mentioned creating a multimedia platform, I'm like, bro, do we have the same vision? <laughs> because, um, it's, but just in a different order, because for me, it's like podcasts. And now I've got writers writing for the blog and yeah, YouTube channel and book is a fir- book is a lot further down the road. There's a course in there before that. 
And it's, it's super interesting just to hear uh, the uh, level of similarity. But Julian, for you, I know that you also became a biker recently to, I guess, reconnect with, with the health side of things. So, so can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I know it can be a struggle because I've had this bike, you know, in the in the other room for this whole pandemic and i've had my bouts of doing it not doing it so can you talk a little bit about that and then i'd like to hear how you've kept yourself accountable to be able to keep moving things forward so the biking um the journey to biking or the path to where i am now uh, has been a long time coming um a lot of it stems from really just being a bit too still uh and being (laughs) you know like watching myself kind of gain weight and, and and fall into unhealthy habits through the pandemic just because of social distancing. And so, yeah, it's something that I've been talking about. And Kirsten knows that that's just something that I do. I talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And then until finally, I just say, you know what? Today is the day. And so the day was actually on my birthday. And she's the one that actually said, just go get the bike. And so we went down the the street. Yeah. Yeah. He went two days earlier and they were like, if you don't buy this bike, it's going to be gone. And he didn't buy the bike. And so the day of his birthday, I was like, we're going to buy the bike. If he didn't try to pressure me, I probably would have bought the bike. (laughs) But I don't like feeling sold like that. I remember when you bought the car. So so I've learned. Exactly. Same similar Same situation. I was like, you know what? And sure enough, I came back and the bike was still there. And so we went ahead and bought it. But I will say, since I bought it, I've fallen once. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I have, uh, I think I've ridden just about every single day and like I'm hitting new highs every single day and it's just been incredibly, uh, fulfilling and relaxing. I feel better already. It's only been like a week, uh, but it's been fun. I've even ridden with my son and he's kind of, you know, I'm seeing that as he's watching me ride, like he's actually mimicking what I'm doing. And so he's learning and the whole thing has just had a compounding effect in terms of keeping myself accountable. I think a lot of it is really just knowing that I'm the one that led my family here, (laughs) you know? And so I'm the one that quit, um, you know, when we were doing great. I'm the one that basically says, you know what? I'm over it. This job is a is a dead end. And and quite honestly, at the time, it it would have required me to sacrifice my integrity. And I just was not willing to do that for a paycheck. And so uh, I walked away from a really toxic situation, basically decided to bet on myself. Yeah, it's been tough, man. I've tried some things. Some things have worked. Some things haven't. Uh, but I just kept on going because reality is, like, it, it, you know, as the leader, you know, in this effort, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, we co-lead now, but I'm the one that stepped out first. And, and my mission first became to get our business to a point where Kirsten felt comfortable walking away from her job. She needed to believe that if I do this, we will be okay. Our son will be okay. Our ability to support my mother, who's financially insecure, you know, would still be there. And um, and we would have the added flexibility to also be the types of parents and partners in life that we wanted to be. And so that's really my motivation, really just wanting to be a better husband, better father. Um, and then there's obviously a little bit of personal challenge in there as well. Let's see, can I can we replace our income, you know, yeah. or you, you start to create these arbitrary, you know, <laughs> goals. Like, can I have a five-figure month or can I close this kind of client or can I make this kind of pitch and increase my conversion, whatever it is. And so all of those little things, quantitative measures, uh, in addition to qualitative are all important to us. And, you know, just kind of paying attention to those things has been what's kept me on track. You mentioned your mom. And it's funny because I see every single social media post of y'all. So as you talk and you mention things, it brings up a new thought and a a new question. But I've noticed that, and maybe you've always been this way, y'all are like very open 
about kind of mm-hmm. what's happening. And I think even uh, some of the financial challenges and, and correct me, uh, I believe with the parent and y'all getting to a place where you can afford to like step in and, and, and help. And which is a very, which can be a very challenging thing to talk about because there's also even an element where like you're kind of putting family out there as well. Even if you don't name them, you're, you're including them in the story. On top of that, I've noticed that, I mean, y'all are, y'all were already black, but somehow it feels like you've gotten blacker. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious what the impetus to that was. And by the way, for folks probably like, what do you mean by getting, getting blacker, Rich? Well, I noticed that they've leaned more into issues that impact black people and not even just so as it relates to money, but also at work and, and seeing y'all talk about that has been really refreshing because I feel like the work side of things gets left out of the personal finance conversation. I'm just curious, like what's led to y'all, maybe it's just part of the natural evolution, but like what's led to y'all like opening up like one around the personal stuff, which maybe you did already and I just didn't know, but then also kind of talking about some of these bigger societal issues and even things that are happening in the workplace. I think the bigger uh, motivation behind why you might have seen um, a, a bit more seasoned content is what I was what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, it. unseasoned and seasoned. Yeah, content. yeah, yeah. We we put a little bit more blackening spice <laughs> on on our got a little bit more Lowry's on it. A little bit more Lowry. <laughs> a little bit more salt. Um, is because that's that's what works in part, and we really really care about reaching people. You know, one of our approaches to creating content um, has always been to aim for the heart and not the head. And I think that means that we need to lead with sort of cultural relevance uh, and then kind of follow up with tactics and education first. I'm sorry, afterwards. And we really do care uh, because right now, I think a lot of personal finance, I'll just pick on that for just a second. A lot of personal finance content, while it has... Um, great intentions, it just isn't effective at actually m- motivating people to make changes or improve their lives. It's too easy to ignore. And so what we're doing is saying, no, you can't ignore this because you see your struggle in my struggle. You see your mom in my mom. Uh, you hear the pain, you hear the frustration or the confusion. Sometimes I don't have the answer and that's okay. And I think that that is something that people can relate to. And I think we've used that to our advantage. And I also think, at least for me, or I should say for me more so than Kirsten, I'm, I'm just more comfortable being, I guess, that vulnerable. I don't consider it being vulnerable. It's just who I am because I've been doing that, gosh, for as long as I can remember. Uh, and so if I'm willing to go there, I think some people slowly but surely kind of follow. And then out of that, we tend to see some really important breakthroughs. I also will add that I think any content that is created starts with what kind of relationship you want to have with your audience. And one of the challenges with personal finance is that when people are creating content, the relationship that they pick is one of expert and teacher. And when you do that, you kind of limit yourself for what your audience can teach you. And what we recognize from the beginning is that we don't know everything. We won't know everything. And so by opening up to what we're experiencing along the way without the bar being, you know, delivering a lesson every time or teaching you something concrete or being super conclusive, we're able to have a two-way relationship with our audience and remain inclusive because we're turned on to other people's challenges every day. We learn more about what the disabled community is going through, what the Asian community is going through, Latino, single mom, single dad. Like we have so much 
we have so much insight that comes from our audience and it's kind of a shared community of resources. And that's that's really what we wanted. We don't want to be in the position of having to teach every time we post something or every time we create something because we're not natural teachers. And that's okay to say, like everybody is not a teacher. That doesn't mean that you don't have something to say or a perspective that you can add that would be really helpful or valuable to people's lives. Well, not to mention financial illiteracy isn't everyone's problem. I know we like to think that financial illiteracy is the problem, and it it may be for a large percentage of people, but for the people that we're talking to, we know some of our biggest fans are managers at a high level, directors that manage multi-million dollar budgets. They understand what to do, what not to do. They know the difference between a Roth and a traditional. And so me repeating it uh, in you know, in my own voice is not going to be the thing that makes them say, you know what, you're right, I do need to invest more. It's about those deeper, more cultural and social forces that are impacting their decision-making. And those are the things that we address, which going back to your original point, require us to speak from and about the Black experience. I feel like that's something my leadership coach would say and push me to do. He'll probably hear this and be like, you need to go do what they did and you need to follow (laughs) because that is leadership. And we've been talking a lot about leadership lately. As I'm listening to that, it's it's essentially leading because there's leading by being out front and being vocal and telling people what they need to do. But then you can also be kind of like leading from behind just by just like living it and just sharing it, which is a, a, a really big part of it. So I, I think I know probably one of the things, but to y'all, what has changed most in your messaging over the past couple of years? So I, I know you're talking about a wider range of topics, but is there anything maybe with even within the realm of personal finance or or money where maybe your message was one thing a couple of years ago and you felt really strongly about it. And now you're kind of like, well, actually. (laughs) That's a good question. We've always kind of teetered the line with nuance. You know, our, some of our earlier writings were about why we specifically didn't go, um, didn't go all in on some of the tried and true rules of pursuing financial independence, like the 4% rule or, I can't even think of another one because we just don't we don't live by them. Um, but I think now we're more willing to lean into story and let the audience take what lesson they want from it. It's it's more like the Jesus effect where it's like even Jesus couldn't be super direct. He had to talk in parable because if he talked directly, people would be like, what are you doing? So it's it's more talking about Jesus. Right. <laughs> Jesus knew about being canceled even back then. So it's more about just sharing what we're experiencing, not knowing what the audience is going to take from it. And that inspires a better conversation, like being more willing to have a conversation, some back and forth, do a follow up or more detailed later, but just, you know, not waiting until you're super conclusive until you post something. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we've learned is that the value is really, you know how people say like, it's all about the journey and not the destination. It's all journey. Uh, yeah. And I think for us, it, it becomes a matter of saying, all right, well, then what is the discussion? What is the dialogue? How can we create a space where people actually feel comfortable having healthy and productive, well thought out conversations along their journey, wherever it is that they're planning to go? And so it became less about, to Kirsten's point, wanting to show up and being a teacher or a mentor, but really just inspiring people to think more deeply about what it is that they're feeling. Uh, throughout that journey. And to, to your point, it is a bit, 
it does give off therapy vibes, you know what I mean? <laughs> but but we have learned that. And so our business mission has been become inspiring better conversations about money. And by that, it's like not just focusing on the numbers. It's about really thinking about the emotional layers, why you think the way you do, why you're even as driven as you are. What messages have you received, whether it's from your parents or from media uh, that have led you to believe that this is what you want to do. And so for us, it's, that's really been the biggest insight. It's like it's not just about crafting this message that leads people to just make a decision because you have to respect that very few decisions when it comes to money exist within a vacuum. You move one part of your life, it's going to sort of impact something else. Mm-hmm. Could be your relationship, could be your ability to be a parent or the relationships you have with your parents, etc. And so you've got to think about all of those things. And it's not up to me or I believe any personal finance expert to tell you what to do. You, you really want to give people the, the, if anything, just the permission to think about all of the different parts of their lives and lead them to their own decision. Yeah. What's crazy is how with some folks, and this is with me too, how uh, I think sometimes as, as content creators, we can get tired of saying like the same thing or it's like, ah, like we've said this several times already, but sometimes it really takes someone hearing it like 15 times mm-hmm. and maybe from the right perspective, maybe you bring somebody else on and they say something that that way that actually resonates, which is which is pretty cool. And I've had that happen at home where I probably shouldn't be talking about this, but I'm going to talk about it on the show anyway. <laughs> I'm where, telling. Uh, where, <laughs> where, where like, she'll share an idea or say, hey, babe, you, you should do this or something. And then I don't get it, but then someone else like words it a certain way. And I'm like, I just got this amazing idea. And it's like, I, did, did I not just say that to you like three days ago? And then I have to go through the whole thing. It's not because a man said it, babe. It's just like the way that it was worded. It was different. <laughs> so <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about because you're, yes. you're laughing about oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That- and one thing, one thing, a little bit of a pivot here. And we talked, we were talking about this before the show. And it ties to that, that idea of kind of like how things have changed and, and what's changed in your perspective. And one thing that's changed for me is like how I felt about your know, crypto and, and blockchain. And uh, I had a guest on the podcast probably in like 2016, and he mentioned blockchain. And at the time, I kind of just like laughed and I was like, yeah, like blockchain, like whatever. He's like, the blockchain is just, it's, it's the future, guys. And so many days I've said, I so wish that I had listened to this dude when he mentioned five years ago <laughs> that this was going to be the future. I, I, I can imagine what his coinage probably looks like, though I'm not going to count what, what's in his pocket. All this to say, I feel like there's still a lot of hesitancy in the personal finance community, right, rightfully so, around this new space. But just because it's new doesn't mean that it's bad. And I'm curious how y'all are thinking about crypto and, and blockchain and, and how that plays into the financial picture. Because I know banks don't like the concept of decentralized finance at all. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't cut us out. But as an individual and seeing my boys and seeing people I know coming up, like actually getting empowered and, and feeling really in control of their money, people who don't trust banks. I'm probably stealing y'all's thunder, but that's some of the stuff that I've noticed. And so I'm curious what what y'all have noticed and how y'all are thinking about it. Yeah, this is one of those topics that reminds me that there are often two Americas. Like, you know how there are some days where, you know, Black Twitter or Black content creators will be talking about one thing, whether it's Monique and Bonnets or Chadwick and, you know, his passing and his estate planning. And like white Twitter will be on some completely other, like it's completely not 
you know, even in the realm of conversation for them, the crypto conversation among marginalized people is very different than the crypto conversation around people who have traditionally had full access to all asset classes and, you know, have been biased in institutions. I have been studying crypto more heavily in the last year because I'm I'm finding the use cases for marginalized people. I'm reading about how migrant workers are using it to send money back home. I'm reading about how new wealth builders are using it to um, accelerate the timelines and actually have a chance at building generational wealth within the next 30 years because of these coins and, and this technology. And that's a very different conversation than I see on other parts of personal finance where it's like, oh, it's all gambling, you're wasting your money, or you know, yada, yada, yada. In a sense, all of it is <laughs> is betting on something. And so, you know, I think Morgan Housel said it, like, it's only speculation if you're wrong. And in a lot of cases with crypto, like, <laughs> there have been some right and there have been some wrong, but we're learning along the way. But I think the willingness to try exists way more in marginalized communities and people who have been denied wealth building in other ways than it does in, mm. in you know, traditionally white communities. We certainly are not missing out on the opportunity. Are we betting the farm on it? No. But when we have excess money to invest, we take the majority of it and put it in, you know, index funds and our traditional investments. And then we take the rest and put it in crypto. Yeah, I think specifically, we, I think we said like 10000 is what we're going to put down. And it'll probably end up being more than that. But I think we said like this year, more so than previous years, like let's let's commit to spending around ten thousand dollars or investing rather ten thousand in crypto. What is whichever word you want to use. <laughs> That's basically our commitment this year. I think we'll actually end up exceeding that just based on revenue growth over the last just yeah. eight weeks. Um, but I'll also say it's made me think about my experience as an early real estate investor. I remember when I first met Kirsten, one of the things I was super excited about was Detroit. And I told myself that I really wanted to go to Detroit because at the time, you know, I think the city was bankrupt and that you could essentially buy properties for a dollar or like $5. People were buying entire blocks. And I was doing all this research and all these companies were telling you, like, that is absolutely not what you want to do. Like, you know what I mean? It's one of the worst decisions you could ever make, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I basically took that for what it was worth without a, any grains of salt and decided not to invest because I was like, you know what? Let me start small. Let me play it safe and invest in a property that's just a mile away from me instead of going all, all the way to Detroit where I don't really have any connections. If I wanted to have connections or build connections there, I could have done that. But long story short, the people who invested then have <laughs> seen incredible returns, right? The city has bounced back. Is it right back to where it was? No. But all that to say, that to me was a really um, interesting um, example because I learned that you unfortunately can't always listen to the loudest voices in the room and you can't always listen to credible media sources. Um, as much as I love NPR, I distinctly remember reading articles about Detroit and being dissuaded from investing there because I was like, well, if NPR said it, I certainly shouldn't be investing there. Unless you're, you know, a billionaire or unless you're some of the Chinese millionaires who actually, you know, thought very differently, went into Detroit, scooped up a bunch of properties. And all of a sudden, those things have all, you know, g gained uh, really generous returns for them. And so all that to say, you see the same sort of rhetoric happening with crypto. And I would just caution anyone who's looking at it to be mindful that this has happened and has continued to happen. Uh, so you at the end of the day, have to make a decision and accept the risk that comes with it. Uh, but you certainly shouldn't just 
regarding ignore it. or ignore it. Yeah, which uh, I did for a number of years and I'm regretting it. But I'm also being smart about not just dumping all the money in there. I've actually mm-hmm. taken some of the business profits and started there putting that in crypto because that's to me feels like extra money. So I'm like, why not start mm-hmm. there? And wouldn't it be a cool story to like grow this? Exactly. And then be able to talk about it over time. And something that I've noticed like personally in my circles with I'd say personal finance and even crypto. Uh, Julian, I'm not sure if, if you got like the WhatsApp groups with like your boys from college or, or whatever, but these brothers be trading mm-hmm. and yes. what these folks know, and they live completely outside of this personal finance world that we're in. And the money that I see these folks making, like even this morning, it's to a point that before I even look in at anything in the market, I go to this chat group because they're so on top of this stuff all day. I just find it really interesting because these are also the same fellas, and they wouldn't care if I said this, who, uh, you know, like conspiracy theories. I, I think there's something with black men and conspiracy theories. We we love us a good conspiracy. <laughs> love oh, yeah. it. <laughs> uh, but but I, I was curious if, uh, for you, Julian, if, if you're in your circles, like with like the, the men of color that you do associate with, are you seeing kind of the rush with financial empowerment? Because these are also brothers who well-educated and they don't trust institutions. They don't trust large-scale news publications. I'm actually starting to become a lot more like that, especially around crypto, because I've noticed some of the sensational headlines and it's like, market tanks 10%. And I'm like, that's just another day in the life of crypto, you know? Right, right. Yes. I, I, I have similar groups that I am a part of that I've been invited to. I've turned on more invitations than I've actually accepted. Um, and that's just because I, I try my best to um, minimize the noise. And because at the time I wasn't in a position to do anything with that information. So the last thing I mm. needed was more stimulation. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, they, it's like, I, it's so interesting, you know what I mean? Because they are unlike other investors, like in our world of personal finance, to your point. It's not like they are recommending books by, you know, long storied successful investors or they are plugged into barons or, you know, any of these. None of that. Yeah, they're not watching CNBC, like none of that stuff. Like they have their own groups. They are making up their own minds, their own methodologies in some cases. Um, and at least from the outside looking in, it seems to be working. Now, I will say, for me, I would say about 20% of the noise that I am seeing is 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 real. 80% of it is scammy, dog. There's a, <laughs> yeah, lot, a lot of scammy scam. energy out there. A lot, a lot of, of people making... Still. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people, I think, making money off of referral codes, but coding Pumping it dumps. as expertise. Yeah, yeah I, I've seen a lot of that. I mean, I got friends in particular who just came home from doing a bid and they're getting sucked into a lot of this stuff, you know what I mean? Because they're trying to make up for lost time. Mm. Or I've got friends who have uh, really, really high student loan balances, can't find a job. And as a result, they are, you know, looking at these things and saying, why would I, you know, commit to working, you know, these ridiculous hours for such low salary when I know people who are making that in a month. And so they're really being drawn to it. And so it's giving me very strong MLM vibes. Uh, and it's something yes. that Kirsten and I have spoken about. Like, we need to um, do a better job. And by we, I mean our community need to do a better job of policing some of these things. But it's tough because you don't want to call someone else out. But, like, as I get older and a little savvier, like, you can, you know, detect which what's real and what's fake. But there's still a, a lot of gray area there as well. But all that to say, there's... It, it, it boils down to a lot of empowerment, a lot of people being engaged with their money and thinking long term and, and and 
being mindful of what's possible. And so I guess all of that is is a good thing. And Kirsten, I'm curious how uh, women in the chat groups that you're in is crypto. Is, is any of this a conversation? Because the space feels pretty much just like Silicon Valley 3.0, very bro-y, diversity problem all over again, can be very difficult to understand. Lots of technology, terminology, jargon. So I'm curious if you're seeing conversations around this. It's minimal. I know a couple of women who are bullish on it, but most of it is driven by their partner's interest. In my case, it's my dad's interest. My dad has been trading crypto for a year and maybe a couple years, actually. And Wait, so, your pops put um, you on? Yeah. <laughs> He's an OG. He's an OG. <laughs> and uh, he just recently started switching to altcoins. He used to specifically do stable coins and then started switching to altcoins. And so when Dogecoin did its little, you know, yeah. dance, he had like uh, over a hundred thousand of them. Like he just had a, a pile of these, you know, at the time, less than a penny coins. And so he, he benefited and we took a really nice vacation from some of his returns. But it's a lot of women have come to me and asked, like, how do I get started? What do I do? And so I am in the process of trying to form a perspective that's shareable yeah. in a in a mass sense and not just like in a one-on-one conversation like this to help people understand, like wrap their head around what it is and what you're what you're essentially buying and what's at stake. Because a lot of the conversations have been extreme you know, cases of extreme wealth and extreme loss. But there's a nice middle ground that I think more people would be comfortable if you understood that that's exactly what you're doing. I've found that after I've done my fumbling and scrambling, buying, selling, and I've learned how to do all my limits and resist and all all of this other stuff, I found that my strategy is actually no different than my long-term portfolio strategy. I tried like the like the, like swing trading. I I just can't. I did it for a few months with uh, the public app. I still love that app, but like, I just the the amount of time I'm spending looking at charts and things like that is like hours. <laughs> yeah, that could if be you spent. have a full time job yeah. that can pull you into meetings, it's like yeah. you miss you miss I, it by a hair. <laughs> I know. I mean, to be like, oh man, I should have set that. And I'm, I'm like, I can't be doing that. So I'm yeah. I'm dollar cost average everything like right now, mm-hmm. and I noticed. Mm-hmm. Once I changed uh, that perspective, and for those who are not for or not for me to say dollar cost averaging, essentially it's putting the same amount of money, independent of like the price at the time, but the same amount of money into that particular investment on a regular cadence so that over time it ultimately kind of averages out to kind of like what the average price is. Mm-hmm. Because trying to time the market is impossible. And I've like learned that. Like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I got it for the low, but wait, it just dropped 10 more percent. So as soon as I made that mindset shift to like, this is just like long term, I'm going to treat this just like any other long term investment as opposed to trying to come up in the short term. It made it a lot easier. Yes. It sounds like y'all are probably thinking of it based off of how you're putting money into it. It's also going to be like a long term thing for y'all as well. Yeah. It's a long term play with taking short term gains, you know, as needed. Um, Another mental model that we've used and talked about as a way to think about it is as a high yield savings account. So sometimes taking it out of the notion that it's an investment and that it's going to forever increase, like thinking of it as a high yield and putting your money into something like a Gemini or one of the other holding platforms and, and getting interest off of it is another way to get people 
somewhat interested in at least trying it because the interest rates on traditional high yield savings accounts are so low right now. It's like if you can earn 9%, not saying that this is guaranteed or that this is actually going to stay in that account. Like don't put your emergency fund in it, assuming you might have an emergency. But if you have sinking funds or some other sort of short-term savings account or money that you're just not needing right now, like this is another way to do it without getting into trading or, you know, buying and selling. Julian, Kirsten, it has been great to have a proper conversation where we actually sit down and we're not in a conference hall with people passing by and getting kicked out the recording station. We didn't get to talk about this much, but I know that y'all have also recently got into podcasting. So you you give the quick scoop for folks so they know where to find y'all because I want to make sure that folks are going and checking that out. Yeah. So we uh, ended up partnering with Success Magazine uh, earlier this year. And uh, part of that partnership is that we get to produce a podcast that's presented by Success. So our brand is Rich and Regular. The podcast is the Rich and Regular podcast. It's on all streaming platforms. We also have a regular column in Success Magazine, some of which are converted onto their website. Uh, we've got uh, tons of things that we're doing within what they call the Success Achievers community and just so much more uh, that we're doing a partnership with Success. So that, that's been really, really cool. Uh, I think uh, what's coming up uh, more immediately for us that we're really excited about is our original video series, which is Money on the Table. It's when we blend our love for food with our love for thoughtful conversation about money. The upcoming season we are really, really excited about. We're aiming to have it out there uh, by mid-July of this year. And hopefully that season will wrap up uh, either late August or early September. But um, yeah, we're really excited about everything that's coming and some of the things that are going to come because of what we're in the process of doing. Y'all just be hustling and I I just love me some, uh, a fresh (laughs) dose of black excellence in the morning. So it is before standard day job hours for me. And so this is like my Red Bull. And yeah, it's been awesome to catch up with y'all. We'll have to actually break some bread when there is an appropriate time. And I know we got a lot of other stuff to talk about as well. But Julian Kirsten, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Always a pleasure, man. Can't wait to do it in person. Hell yeah. Thanks to Julian and Kirsten for coming on the podcast. And I forgot to mention up top that this conversation was actually recorded probably back in early June. And it was crazy to have that conversation and then experience some of the things that I experienced a few weeks later and to ultimately be where I am now in terms of clarity and everything else. It was almost like there was a little bit of foreshadowing that was happening. So it was pretty cool to be able to have that conversation and that experience with them because I feel like every time I get a chance to talk with them. There's good chemistry and we vibe really well. So really appreciate them coming on the podcast, providing that positive energy. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share with a friend, your family, your network, whoever you think could benefit from this conversation here today. Tell your neighbor, do what you got to do. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe or follow on your podcast listening platform of choice. And if you've been rocking with PNB and you love the podcast, be sure to leave a five-star review. And that pretty much wraps it up for this week. So looking forward to coming back next week with a new episode, keeping this positive energy and these positive vibes going because, you know, mental wealth is everything. And as you can probably sense from listening to the show, when it comes to wealth building, it's about a lot more than the money. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, do something dope.